Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6... Evolutionary Hardcore Episode 25. Today we're going to be doing Ian Valier, and this is going to be a really good podcast. He's an up-and-comer bodybuilder, really been coming on strong over the past couple of years. Been very stiff competition, but he's been hanging in there. I actually interviewed him a few years back uh, on the podcast, on my Evolutionary regular podcast. And the episode on that one, Mobster, was what number? It was Evolutionary Radio, Steve, episode 212. Yeah, so you guys can look that one up. Very personable man um, and a really, really good guy. So uh, it's really going to be cool to do this podcast and kind of update on uh, where, you know, what's happening since. So he's a Canadian IPB professional bodybuilder. Mobster and I were on the pre-show talking about it sounds like French Canadian, um, but he is in Ontario. So uh, there Quebec has the majority of the French Canadians, but there yes. are some in other parts of Canada as well. So we surmised he may be uh, French Canadian or maybe half French Canadian where he got his last name, um, but he does spend a lot of time in Florida um, as many Canadians do. It's called being a snowbird. I'm not sure if you guys have that in the UK, Mobster, I don't know if people don't have that. It's not that warm or cold, mate. So no, we do have. If you're a pensioner, uh, people that go to Spain for a few months a year and whatever, yeah. and then come back in the summer. So you don't go like, from yeah, like Scotland to like nor Lower England no. to get escape from the cold. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's about three degrees difference. <laughs> well, that's a big difference. It'd be three degrees. So, um, so in this case, you know, he listen. It's a family affair with him. Um. He does a lot of videos with Chris, with Chris Bumstead. There's a reason for that. It's one of the things that was fascinating when we were doing the um, the research for this podcast was how many videos he is with Chris. Well, there's a reason for that. They're actually related, not blood related, but Chris Bumstead's sister, Melissa Vallier, a.k.a. Melissa Bumstead, she is married to... Ian, so it, it it's kind of interesting how that came about, and uh, it is kind of awkward, I would say, to have a friend and you marry their sister. That is a little awkward to me. So, uh, Chris is like three, four years younger than Ian, so it's like, yeah, here's my sister. I'm introducing my sister. Uh, go, uh, you know, do things with her. It, it's kind of awkward to me. <laughs> I am not sure. Um, how that would work in my situation, but listen, they're cool. And um, I'll bring in Mobster. You, you, I'm sure you guys have heard of Melissa Bumstead. Um, in yeah, recent I'll tell you, years. I'll tell you what it yeah. is. If you go and, and look at the um, Chris's uh, profile, I believe this is what happened, right? I think it was the other way around. I think she was already dating Ian Valier, and uh, Chris got into training. And she said, no, 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 you should come and speak to Ian. He's like a, a big guy. He's been training for weights for years. And that's how it happened. It wasn't the other way around. Yeah. Can you imagine? That would be like a weird situation. Hey, you, you can go out with my sister so long as I can train with you or, or whatever. No, that was the other way around. She was already dating him. And she said, Chris, listen, if you want to know about training, hook up with my boyfriend. You've met him already. He's a crazy fucking high-level bodybuilder. Going to do really, really well. Bigging him up, of course. Giving him, a, 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 a you know making him look good. And Chris, that's the way it happened, as you know. I mean, we're going to talk about the training and coaching. And basically, I think Elian spent a, a great deal of his time, and we're going to talk about what, how that changed, uh, getting Chris to where he was. He's more or less a coach at some point. So, yeah, it's, it's it, 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 she was already dating him when Chris was invited into the group, so to speak. Yeah, so and like I said, you may have heard of Melissa Bumstead in the recent news. So, Mobster, why don't you just, uh, brief everybody on that story because it's a very important story. Yeah, without going into the absolute nitty-gritty because I don't have it in front of you guys, but basically what happened was 
and, and, and this is how the media dealt with it. She got some PED sent to, to the house, to the flat or wherever the apartment where they were living. And Steve and I were talking about this in a pre-show, right? So you're a high-level, Olympia-level bodybuilder, in the case of Ian. You, you've got a, a good physique in the case of Melissa. You are, uh, Chris was kind of sort of uh, thrown in with the bathwater here, although I, I actually think he sort of actually sort of was out of that situation at that time. I might be getting a bit mixed up on the dates here, Steve, because we know that he went off to train elsewhere, different coach, etc., all around the same time. But essentially what happens, this, this is a thing, right? And I'll do it as a generalized thing rather than a specific person thing. If you become a very high-level athlete in any sport, running, MMA, weightlifting, bodybuilding, or whatever else, and you've made the decision to use performance-enhancing drugs, you have a target on your back from the feds, from the Met Police, from the, the local police officers, from customs and excise whatever kind of authorities you have in your country, in your region, in, in your state, wherever you live, quadrant of the, of the country that you live in, whatever it is, guys, you have a target on your back because it'd be, I, if I was in their shoes, if I was, if I was a customs, right, I'm saying, so how did that guy get to be so big and so muscular? He must be using PEDs. Now, if you're super clever, you have a script from a doctor, you go, you buy, go, and people that used to live near the Mexican border, Steve, would literally go over the border, buy the steroids, get an injection in Mexico, and then come back into the USA, quite legal. But buy it in the USA, inject it in the USA, uh, be seen as a steroid-using bodybuilder or athlete, it, it's, it's, it's a risk. Now, again, this has happened, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically of a former Mr. Olympia, who was a police officer, easy to guess, guys. And Steve and I were talking about this, and this is the way that this stuff sometimes works. If you, in that particular case, are representing incredibly well, whether you go to schools, whether you talk well about the, the organisation that you work for, i.e. the police, uh, you do stuff charitable, all these kind of things, in a way, and I know it sounds a little bit like having sort of greased the wheels and stuff, but it isn't. It's doing stuff in the community that represents the sport and you as an individual. Again, this could be MMA, going to school and talking to kids about bullying or whatever. Uh, it just makes the authorities less likely, in my opinion, Steve, to, to, to come down on you, who's representing incredibly well, doing great things in the community and just doing what you need to do, not dealing, not pushing drugs, not pushing stories, but just doing what you need to do to be a great athlete and then representing your community incredibly well. So we talk about things like PO boxes, and, and which careers to use and all this kind of stuff. But that's just for your average Joes. And it, the likelihood, as we've discussed in previous shows about this subject, is that the average Joe is not that likely. It's possible, but not that likely to have a police officer knocking on the door to give you shit about Debo. But if you're a professional bodybuilder, it's kind of silly, even if it's your wife or girlfriend, getting the drugs delivered to where you live. And that's what happened. And lo and behold, it's an issue. So I'll let Steve jump in for the rest of this now. Yeah, and then also, it's look, it's Canada versus Florida. I mean, you say what you will, but Florida is, especially in recent years, not the most freedom state, you know, I'll put it that way. So they try to get you for everything in Florida. I think in Florida, a third of the population has been to jail before. So there's like so many different laws that they try to, even in Florida, you can't even have sex in certain uh, positions without it being illegal. That's, that's how crazy Florida is. Yeah. I think there's some old, old laws out there. I seem to recall. Yeah. It. It's very, it's, but in Canada, so, you can legally use steroids and not have to go to jail for it. Even though it's a gray area, you can't yeah. sell them, but you can use them. So, in their case, stick to Canada. If you're going to be using a lot of steroids and have them shipped to your place, stick to Canada with that. Don't do those types of things in the deep south uh, in the United in the United States, where you know pot is still illegal in in these states. You know, so touch on that mobster, and then we'll uh, we'll get into more of his early life. Uh, let me give you an example again, guys. I've discussed in other shows how, for example, the UK laws are very similar to the Canadian laws that Steve just discussed. If I'm not going around banging the drums all and sundry, no matter what, men, women, 
uh, older kids, etc. Steroids are amazing. Steroids are great. You should be using performance enhancing drugs. Buy drugs for me, then 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 that's okay. If I use performance enhancing drugs for my own personal thing, I'm, I, look, I've discussed this in previous shows. I have had the police here because I had some sent to me from outside of the country, and the package was open the customs and excise at the post office as the mail came in. And I got a warning letter, and then literally within a few days, a police officer, and I believe a PCSO, might have been another police officer, came here and shut, sat down in this very office I'm doing this podcast in, and I got told off. So I just said, don't need the Psalms that desperately, especially from outside the UK. And it's actually easy for me to get stuff from Europe and in the UK now. It wasn't at the time. Uh, I don't want the police banging on my doors. They've come in, would you like a cup of tea officer getting told off in the nicest way? They were lovely, Steve, but... I don't want I, want, I want to do these shows and I don't want the attention of the police giving me aggravation. So to me, it's one of those sensible things. That's why I've all, and not just that, but I've always said, you know, you be, need to be a certain age. You need to act responsibly. Don't be gung-ho when it comes to drugs. I don't care specifically PDs, but other drugs as well. If you're the kind of person that buys and sells narcotics, Stephen, you're walking around with gold chains and a car that you can't afford while not doing a day's work in your life, you're kind of asking to get arrested. So it's kind of stupid. As an example, we have an Oz forum on the forums and Australians and customs and excise are hard arsty. It is incredibly difficult. There's a TV program that runs in the UK TV where people are getting big time slap on the wrist, fined, told off, arrested sometimes just for bringing in food that they shouldn't have and that they haven't declared in their suitcases for Australia. Big Same thing with animals, dead animals. Never mind drugs. The Australians will tell you just how goddamn hard it is to get steroids from outside, performance enhancing drugs of any description from outside Australia into Australia. They are big time hard on it. So we've done this in a podcast, guys. You need to understand, know, and as best you possibly can, work within the restrictions. Like I said, the UK is a grey area. Canada is a grey area. If we don't take, as I would say here, in colloquial English, if we don't take the fucking piss, we're fine. If you take the piss or if you work for an authority like the police or if you're out there with a lab making loads and loads of money and acting like a drug dealer, you're going to get attention. If you're top-level professional bodybuilder in the United States, as in this example, even if it's a wife or girlfriend, the risk for you to lose your profession and end up doing time or having to do some sort of public service to make up for it is incredibly high. And it's, it's not a risk I'd want to take as a professional athlete, Steve. My sponsors wouldn't like it. The judges at competitions might get a bit funny, all that kind of thing. So you need to be very, very careful and acknowledge the fact that you need to be seen to be a good person, doing the right stuff, and just basically not rubbing the local authorities' noses in it. Back to you, Steve. All right. So look, Ian, born in 1990, his stats 5'10", 260. Um, he's a huge guy. Um, you can look at the videos and uh, we'll link it in the article. Uh, some some of his really, really interesting videos. Early life, as I said, he is Canadian, born in Canada, football and track star, fastest and strongest kid on the field. But his main love was always fitness and bodybuilding. He got really into it at a young age, mobster. He was studying it. He was helping people online, social media pages. Um, he was obsessed with it. One of those people really had an eye for it. Posts, diet and training tips, became a coach and became close friends with uh, Chris Bumstead, as we talked about. 19 years old, he was benching 500 pounds raw. And that's really, really impressive. Look, you don't you don't bench 500 pounds raw at 19 years old unless you are a genetic freak and unless you're very, very dedicated and, and very consistent with your training. So I got to give him a lot of credit for that. Let's get into his competition history, mobster. I'll start us off. He started competing in amateur bodybuilding shows at just around 20 years old. First 2010 Ottawa Championships, he got first place in the junior men's and third in the men's heavyweight class. In 2012, he decided to take on professional arm wrestler Devon Larat. I believe it's pronounced mobster. I don't really follow arm wrestling, but maybe Lever, you can. Devon Larat, Larat, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. So why don't you touch on that story really quick, and then we'll. Um, he he got injured during that. Why don't you touch on that really quick? So so and this is not the first time this has happened, guys. Uh, he's not the first athlete 
you're an amazing bodybuilder. You've got fantastic A to B strength on a curl, on a French, on a press, whatever else. Uh, to, to, he had the, uh, literally people heard of the bone break. It sounded, and I'm quoting the article here, guys, sounded like an explosion, causing him to have to take some away from the gym. I mean, no shit, Sherlock, right? So this has happened in the world's strongest man competition. You can find this online. I've actually been to an event where this has happened. I was paid to attend something called the Hercules Olympia, Steve. And the guy that I was working with that weekend, and we were doing promos and strength feats, et cetera, was a little, and I mean a little, very, very muscular arm wrestler called, he's, he's dead now, unfortunately, Rod Lennett. His nickname was Rambo. And the, one of the promoters of the event was about my size at that time, around 280 pounds and his height, six foot tall. And for fun, in front of the crowd, Rambo went up. The other fellow was called Scott Horton. And he had what was, this is probably what happened here, same as what happened in the World's Strongest Man. It's called a spiral fracture, Steve, where the crack goes around the bone. It's not, not straight across. It's not where the bones crumble, but it goes like a corkscrew around the bone. It is a fucker to recover from. And you're talking about, I think Rod weighed, I'm going to say 154 pounds versus Scott weighing 280 pounds. And Scott's a big, strong motherfucker, but he's not an arm wrestler. And this has happened more than once. I think you can find other examples online where they've got the guys arm wrestling in the biceps gone. It must be said, if you are a proper arm wrestler who's been doing it for a while, your tendon, connective, and static strength is off the fucking scale. Now, bodybuilders have told, we've told bodybuilders a week, compared to a powerlifter or a strongman, yes. Compared to maybe an Olympic lifter, yes. But compared to the man on the street, they're way stronger. But you should never, ever, unless it's something you've been doing yourself for a while, compare the strength that you have with an arm wrestler. The risk factor is stupidly high. And the worst thing about the spiral fracture is it needs to be, you have to put rods in, Steve, and bolts and nuts and stuff. And you really can't use that arm or specifically your lower arm because that's nearly always where it happens for about a year. You're talking about six months, pins and screws and stuff, and then about another six months of recovery. Now, you're a professional bodybuilder. You don't need the scar tissue. Ian's got a big scar on his shoulder. You can see, especially when he's not got any tan on. And you're talking about your professional career or you're wanting to become a professional, take, having to take a year to recover fully from an injury that you should never have had just because it looked good or you was in the mood or someone said, yeah, come on, it'd be great. The guys will love it. No, no, no. Sorry, guys, not going to happen. I wouldn't have put myself up against Rod, and I've got that kind of strength. I might have been okay, but, but why risk it? Why risk it, Steve? It's just, no, 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 no. And if you are present and you hear, literally, guys, trust me, anybody that's ever trained or worked out, you would, it's one of those, you know what's happened. And every, it's like it's like the classic example, guys, when you go to the movie and the, and the actor gets kicked in the balls, all the men in the cinema, they go, this is if you're an athlete and you hear that crack, you know what's happened. If you see that bicep to pop up into the armpit, every athlete, every bodybuilder, everybody that's trans goes, ooh, because they know that's a bad, bad injury. Please, God, it never happens to us, Steve. Back to you. Yeah, definitely got to be smart with your body. And uh, it's a lesson, definitely. That's why we wanted to talk about it. It's a lesson. Um, so it took him a couple years to come back, Mobster, but he did. Um, he earned his pro card at the 2014 Amateur Olympia Mexico by taking first place. Next two years, he competed in Canada as a pro, got some good top 10 finishes. He won his first pro competition in 2018. He won the Big Man Weekend Pro. This allowed him to qualify for the Mr. Olympia, where he finished in 14th place in 2018. Over the next few years, he would have some impressive finishes. Second at the 2019 Toronto Pro, fourth at the Vancouver Pro 2019, third at the Portugal Pro 2019, and third at the 2019 Tampa Pro. Also second the next year at the 2020 Tampa Pro, and he got first at the 2020 New York Pro. That was one of his biggest wins ever. Mr. Olympia 2020, very, very good improvement. He got to seventh place. Hell of a job on that. One of his best wins was the 2021 Tampa Pro and 2021 Texas Pro, where he got first place in both. Uh, let's see. He fell short of Nick Walker at the 2021 Arnold, 
getting a $75,000 check in second place. Mr. Olympia, he got seventh place again that year. And that would be his best year as a pro in 2021. And, you know, great. He, you know, he, uh, there's a video in the article of him posing at the 2021 Tampa Pro. He definitely got to check that one out. Very, very impressive. He looks like a freak because he is a freak. He is a huge, huge human being. Very, very amazing that yeah. he uh, was able to achieve this physique. And, um, you know, hopefully we have some good things from him, uh, Mobster. 2022 Mr. Olympia, he dropped down to 11th place. But I'll let you chime in on that. There yeah. was a lot of people there. The COVID restrictions um, yes. were uh, much different around the world. So people were able to train, uh, travel. People are, uh, were able to get visas that weren't in previous years. So really, even though he dropped, down to 11th, it was still a very, very impressive showing considering how many people were there and how many people didn't even get get ranked um, that that year. I mean, there was a long so, list yeah. of people. Yeah, go ahead. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? And Steve Teeves used the word earlier on. I would say the same word. Is Chris a freak? Yes, absolutely. He's one of those guys that you'll see training videos, hat, hat machine video templates or or... or some other exercise, and it's a decent number of weights, Steve. He's a big, strong motherfucker, 100%. You'll see Instagram photographs, and he's super wide, or his hamstring. I think he does his side thing with his legs, and the hamstring look like it's hanging off. His, his fires look like they're about a foot across, Steve, if not more. And the hamstring looks like it's hanging. as we like the same bodybuilding. He's absolutely a genetic freak. The problem here, and me and Steve talked about this in the pre-show, Ian's one of those guys, and it's, it, it's I, I don't want to say it's a bad thing because the man's making a living from exactly what we're talking about right now and is still a high-level bodybuilder, but he's one of those guys that's going to look amazing, and I mean amazing, in a gym situation. It's going to look amazing and strong training in a training video, but when you put him next to someone on stage who is, as we say in bodybuilding, more complete, you see the gaps. You see the, the, the you know the posing could be that little bit better, but he poses the way that suits his physique. Unfortunately, and a good example would be if Flex Lewis was still competing and was the same height as uh, as Ian is, Flex would beat him because Flex was always a more complete bodybuilder. There's very few gaps, if any, in Flex's physique. He knows how to pose. He knows how to work the crowd. He knows how to get the joke, the judges' votes. in Palaz and Ian unfortunately, has those gaps. For anybody else, in any other situation apart from on stage, Steve, he is super, super impressive. As Steve and I talked about this in a pre-show, and Steve showed his girlfriend photographs, video clips, whatever, of Ian, and she's like, no, that's just horrible. If you're, and I've said this to Steve many times, if you take someone who's not into the bodybuilding as such, and you take them to a competition, they nearly always pick the top three. Sometimes, as often as not, I'd say at least half the time, Steve, they pick the winner. And they do that because they just know innately what looks right, what looks complete, the aesthetic Apollonian ideal, whatever you want to call it. That person's walking like a champion. They look like a champion. They, they're, they're smiling like a champion. Their skin looks perfect. Their tan looks perfect. Their posing's on point. And there are no gaps. They've seen models. They've seen statues. They've seen paintings. They know what looks like a physique. And most of us in bodybuilding knows that. Ian lacks that little 5-10%, Steve, that was taken from an absolute freaky monster into a Mr. Olympia winning type physique. He will always do incredibly well. He will always be highly rated. But in my opinion, and I don't think I'm wrong in this example, uh, Ian's welcome to disagree, of course, he will not win Mr. Olympia. He lacks that little 5 or 10% that would make him a super complete, aesthetically pleasing, uh, top-level bodybuilder that the supplement companies are going to go crazy for, that you're going to see on the front cover of a magazine. For If I was in the gym with Ian, I'd be like, wow, wow. And he'd motivate me to lift weights and train harder and all the rest of that. So look at that freak, he's doing 10 plates. That would get my juices going. But in terms of me judging him a winner of a competition, no. And I think that's that's where he loses that, that's where he lacks. There's nothing he can do about it, Steve. There's been lots of bodybuilders that have done incredibly well, had fantastic sponsorship deals. Done The fans have gone crazy over, and a good example, that would be Tom Platts, the world's best legs ever. 
Mr. Olympia winning luck. Even when his body, upper body caught up with his lower body, there was always little gaps in his physique. And then people like Frank Zane or Chris Dickerson, whoever else he was up against, won. And they won because they just had that little bit of what we know, the kind of magic, that 5 or 10% thing that made them a more complete bodybuilder. On the other hand, I've been to seminars, I've seen photographs, I've watched videos of Tom Blatt's as far as me all day long. Ian would do the same. But in terms of winning, no, I don't think so. So, And like you said, what happened in the, the 2022 was he had more competition, better, more rounded, more complete bodybuilders turned up. And then there's always going to be that argument. And Ian, there's no better or no worse in this regard, guys, in that you need to be in condition, ready to rock and roll on the day of a competition. And as always, always, everybody's had this. Every bodybuilder, every Olympia we can think of, bar one or two, Steve, have had a little time when they've been just off their game by one or two percent, but good enough still to win. Little great on, on on the first day of the Olympia, but not so good on the second, and so on. If Ian or any other bodybuilder mistimes their uh, their peak, Steve, then 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 it makes a difference two, three, four places. And again, more people to compete against who are in better condition, better and more complete physiques. And if Ian mistimes his peak by a day, two days then they're going to get past him and get, push him down another three, four places. And that's just the nature of the beast. That's, that's for all competitions, regardless of bodybuilding. It is what it is. And you just do your goddamn best and make sure that you don't make those kind of mistakes. Make sure that your time peak is absolutely perfect. In terms of gaps in his physique, it's going to come down to the judges. And if someone else is better or more complete, they will nearly always win. That's just the nature of the beast. Training, Steve. Strong. Super, super strong, Steve. I mean, absolutely. Like I said earlier, I've seen stuff, even with the resistance bands, 10 plates on the hack squats. Uh, and does he know how to train? Absolutely. He was showing Chris Bumstead how to train. We're typically talking 10 to 15 reps, for example, Steve. Plenty of isolation exercises and so on and so forth. And like Steve said earlier on, there's a, there's an argument to be made, which is made in the article that we're going to attach to this podcast. He could have done powerlifting, Steve. 500 pounds, as you said earlier, at 19 years of age, is absolutely amazing. We believe he changes his routines through the year. So there'll be times when you're doing higher reps, moderate weight, short, intense workouts, lower reps, and so on and so forth. There's plenty of videos online. I've seen a bunch of stuff through Instagram and on YouTube where you can watch him work. And as I said, Steve, I would argue that he's kind of motivational in that particular regard, especially those little five-minute videos where you see him training his quads like a beast or hitting delts, or hitting arms. I mean, it's one of those guys that's got some great body parts, really, really good body parts. That's how the whole thing puts together. Uh, cardio could easily be 30 to 60 minutes a day. Nutrition, I'll jump in here for nutrition, Steve, and then we'll talk about PEDs. Um, changes his diet, and this is perfectly normal, guys, and something you should all listen to and consider. See where he is in either in-season training, as we call it, getting ready for competition, and then a competition cycle versus the off-season. Uh, knowing to feast, for example, on subs during the off-season. But I will say here, Steve, don't forget, guys, he's a genetic freak. I think he can eat ice cream, Steve, and still be ripped the fat and having that lean and muscular, gnarly kind of thing going on. It's just obviously, and I've said this before on other shows, if they're absolute freaks of freaks, still need to diet, so do you, because you don't have their genetics. So trust me, when it comes to getting into shape, he keeps things real, real simple here. What do we think he eats, Steve? Eggs, fish, beef, turkey, vegetables and rice. I believe you can actually find the odd one or two videos where he's sitting there talking about food and eating that food. Is it exciting? No. Is it necessary? Yes. And like I just said, genetic freak still needing to eat clean, still needing to eat the boring foods that aren't going to upset his stomach, that work for his physique, that he gets on with. I'll give you an example, guys. Uh, one professional bodybuilder versus another, they will eat two different kinds of fish. It might just be that one works better, one holds water worse, so they have to eat fish that's drier, versus the other one that needs the oily fish for their skin, for their joints, and so on and so forth, and still looks dry, still looks lean. So these are the manipulations. But the food types, they're just boring, guys. It is what it is. You can even watch him uh, go shopping, guys, and, and picking up bits and pieces of food, shredded lettuce, which he has to every meal. That's a good example there, Steve. Just something to bulk out the food so your stomach feels full, but with super low calories. I wouldn't recommend it as a thing in and of itself, but we're talking about bulking out a boring meal, spicing up some of those foods. A particular vegetable he likes it, and 
I will quote all of these actually because there's a lot of our listeners that are not eating their veggies. And this is a top professional freaky bodybuilder, green beans, asparagus, broccoli, and zucchini. Uh, guys, you need to eat your veggies. You need to have roughage. Uh, fish, raw oats, ground beef. That's an easy way, guys, that's making uh, meats digestible, chicken breast, and low-calorie or zero-calorie sources. So, Steve, let's talk about the PEDs because I know that our listeners absolutely love this. So I want to talk about what we think he might be using, what we might be taking. Yeah, and, and look, at the end of the day, at his level, you know, these guys are using pretty, pretty good, pretty good steroids, Mobster. If you take a look at his, his um, social media, it's really, really interesting how many followers he has. Uh, 400,000 followers, so he's really getting up there. I'm pretty sure he'll be he'll be at a million before you know it. Um, he's got 100,000 followers on YouTube where he posts about his supplements, nutrition, working out, and posing. So he's got several brands that he promotes, Mobster. Let's get into this before we, we talk about the steroids. Uh, Jim Reapers, Revive MD, and Get Raw Nutrition are three of them. Um, he's got a lot of pictures, impressive physique, training and marketing promos. He's got a lot of information that he's uh, he's posting. Yeah, I'll talk about the lot yeah, of yeah, absolutely, Mobster. And then, look, at the end of the day, look, he's got a big following, a really impressive Instagram. Uh, his YouTube channel, if you're a big fan of Chris Bumstead, you're going to really like. He's got a lot of videos that he collabs with Chris on Chris's YouTube channel. So if you look up videos of, of Ian, he is also going to be with Chris on a lot of videos. So that's why. So they're running along. It's their thing. Um, it's really, really, uh, it's really cool. I mean, I can imagine what holidays would be like um, at their household. It'd be all talking about uh, bodybuilding and nutrition and stuff. So um, they're really into it. They're really, really, really into it, Mobster. You can definitely see that with their photos and their videos. But it's really good information. Um, I like Ian. Um, I actually said this uh, back when I interviewed him on the podcast, that he was a very personable guy. And that was a that was a word that a lot of people don't know. And maybe you guys in the UK don't use that word very often, Mobster, but it's... No, no, I, I, I think it applies, Steve. Here's the thing, guys, and I'm, I've touched on this in the pre-show, just off air with Steve. Right, okay, so your top professional athlete that's sponsored, your, you finally managed to get someone to pay you a salary, what amounts to a salary, whether it's a reward for winning a competition or a salary, right? So sometimes when we're younger, especially when we're younger, Steve, we're training and the dream would be to become a sponsored athlete. So if I was a company and I've been in that position and had people approach me for sponsorship, but we never actually sat an athlete down in front of us. We have actually sponsored athletes in the past uh, when I had the company. So I would interview them, Steve, and it's a job. So what you want is and the personable word that Steve used does apply here in the United Kingdom. Um, you want someone that people like to talk to. You want people that a person that's great on camera. You want someone that's not going to get tongue tied when they're being interviewed for a radio. It might just be a, literally a soundbite or the local press or whatever else. As an example, Steve, I attended the Welsh. Wales's strongest man and Wales's strongest woman competition yesterday. And an athlete that I'm familiar with who won, she won all the events, by the way. She's taller than I am and heavier than I am, uh, Becca Roberts. As at some point, I'm trying to catch her as I come down because I know uh, her boyfriend, uh, partner, who's just recently passed away, was a tenant of mine many years ago. Uh, lived with him, trained with him, competed against him. Uh, and he, when he, when he moved back up, met Becca and ended up coaching her. I get, this is all the way to the Wells' strongest woman. You can look her up as a title winner. And what happens is, is the people down there with their kids, Steve, with their children, boys and girls, and the little kids are asking to pose. Funny enough, Steve, we're all doing bodybuilding poses. I love that. With Becca, and again, Becca's six foot five and around 180 kilos. She is not a small person, never mind woman. She's big, full stop. And Becca is there with the crowd, with the kids, 
they're happy. They can I take a picture with you? Can my mum take a photograph? And you have to make that kind of time. Now, bodybuilding, most sports are super selfish. You need to be kind of selfish with your training time. You need to make sure you're eating when you need to eat. You need to make sure that uh, you get your sleep every night. And we talk about this in the training logs on the forums. But equally, if you're a sponsored athlete, if you're we want to become a sponsored athlete, you need to use that word that we've just used to be personable. You need to understand that you need to make a bit of time for fans. You need to be okay when you're tired, when you're stressed, when you didn't get to sleep last night, when you miss, you should be having a meal. Someone comes up for an autograph or a photograph. It doesn't matter whether you're an athlete or even a film star, rock star, singer, whatever you like, Steve, any kind of quote unquote personality, as we like to call it, in the media or whatever else. It takes one bad day or one fuck off, I'm tired, or one go away, can't you see I'm busy, and social media now, Steve, that stuff's out there in five minutes, and your sponsors won't like it. The media would much prefer to prove a bad story about you, the man was an arsehole, she, she was a bitch, whatever, than the other way around. So uh, the trick, if you're a professional bodybuilder, for example, Steve, is to go to the gym real early or real late. Or go to a gym that's just not busy. Or even better, own a gym and lock it like Dorian used to do back in the day just for the hour and a half that you're training. And then get the hell out of there and recover. Uh, people around you, like Melissa and Chris and other people, handling the stuff that needs to be handled. And then making sure that when the time comes, you, you are a professional. That means making time for fans. That means spending time at expos. It might mean planning ahead for your food, to have your food there at the expos. It might mean explaining that to your sponsors and literally sitting behind the stand at the expo and putting that food down in 15 or 20 minutes and then coming back out, smiling and glad-handing and posing with people. And here's the thing. You dreamt of this. This is the life that you wanted. We think, and I will agree again with that phrase that Steve used, that Ian has that. He has that kind of personality that loves the simple fact that I wanted this all my life and here I am living a dream. I'm getting paid. I earn a living. I, I've got a company that makes money for me and all of that happens because of my physique and my being out there, my being on stage, being on stage is a few minutes. It's for the Olympics, one, two days, a weekend of the year. What about the other 363 days? This is why guys do social media. This is why he's got 400,000 followers because you put these things out there, but don't moan and bitch about it. Just spend a little bit of time like a businessman, half hour, 45 minutes on your social media, if you do an expo, make sure your food's sorted. Go back to the hotel. Don't go to the bar. Don't go out. Just go upstairs, put your feet up on the bed, get some chill time, sit in the bath, have a soak. And remember, you are getting paid and people have come to see you and they do that because they, they're fans of yours. And this is the life that you asked for. So I think Ian's got that, Steve. He has that little bit of his personality that is exactly like a top professional bodybuilder should be. And arguably, even though I said perhaps genetically his physique lacks completeness to be a Mr. Olympia winner, this is how you need to be as an Olympia winner. Because if you was, it would be more of everything that I've just talked about. What do you think on that, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. And, and look, it's also the Canadian thing, Lobster. Uh, Canadians, they're very, very friendly. Um, and they're very friendly people. And that's just the way it is in Canada. Like they, they're much less confrontational with people and there's assholes in every single country. There's assholes in every city. There's assholes, but like, you know, uh, they're much more polite and I think they have much more, per they're much more personable. So that's why you notice, you notice that, um, how people act like, in Florida, if you run into someone and 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 they're very very friendly, there's a good chance that they're Canadian, you know, because most people in Florida are assholes. They're either from New York, or they're basically people from the South. And then um, this misconception that people from the South are nice people, it just isn't true. You know, the more north you go, the more nice they get, unless you go east. So if you're like the Midwest of the United States, very, very nice people. Canada, very, very nice people. So you can always tell that. So I think it's just a, a big part of it is that. And he can definitely tap into that for his marketing um, and really market himself as a nice guy because he is. He's a nice guy um, at, at the end of the day. So what? I mean, if his if his wife got busted 
you know, for bringing in gear. I mean, it's just, it, it is what it is. It doesn't make them not nice people because no, no, she's, no. she's trying to just get, get to be done. It was a mistake. It was a mistake. Yeah. And it was a lack of la lapse of judgment more than anything. And she picked the wrong county and the wrong state to do that yeah. stuff in. So at the end of the day, two more yeah, points. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Two more points. One, right. So one, where I live, I live in South Wales and an analogy I've used with people and they say about where you come from, which would be London originally. To where I am now. So London was at one point the biggest city in the world. It isn't anymore, of course, but it's still sizable. It's somewhere between, I believe, seven and eight million people. And a big city thing is, and this includes New York, Tokyo, Mexico City, and a bunch of other big cities, super, super fucking crowded, Steve. So you want a sense of space, you want your peace and quiet. So what happens if you come from out of town, you find it a little bit weird when you're on the trains, public transport, in certain situations, just walking down a street where you're trying not to bump into people. I'm thinking of New York crossing those streets in Manhattan and so on. Is It's super, super important to you to have that little bit of a bubble of space around you. So the flip side is obvious. Coming up to South Wales, living in Canada, perhaps like Ian, would be you're not surrounded by people. You're not bumping into people. You're actually happy to see someone. You might have been a Canadian wizard, massive. There's elements. I think Canada's only got, I think Canada has less people living in it, I believe. I might be wrong, than the whole of the United Kingdom. And it's only about 20 or 30 times as big. So the sense of space is unreal. And it means you you might, especially if you don't live in any of the big cities or towns, that you might you might go the whole day and only see one or two other people. So when you do see them, you stop and make time. So when you are in places like Florida or or the Mr. Olympia, wherever else, you're going to be super comfortable being around people because you're just happy to be in that crowd because it's only a simple thing where you're going to go back to where you live. It's going to be quiet, it's going to be peaceful, it's going to be relaxed. The other side of this, I've done and been paid for, and I've mentioned this online in a couple of the shows before, I've been paid to attend uh, expos, several of them. Off the top of my head, six or seven. Uh, sometimes a decent salary, Steve, it has to be said. I was quite happy just enjoying myself and being paid and showing off. So here's the thing. And I'll just use myself as an example again, because what the hell, that's what I know. I had to demonstrate my strength on occasion, on demand. Not, not in a gym situation, not when I felt like it, when I needed to do it. So that I might do uh, two or three show-off type lifts, five, 10 minute, 15 minute things through the day where I'd lift some big weight. And it wouldn't necessarily be close to my max, but it would be a good weight that was reasonably impressive for the crowd watching. But equally, and I can give you an example, I remember one event when I was talking to one customer and my boss of the day was behind me talking to another customer and I had a gripper in my hand. Uh, and I think I was giving it a little bit of a squeeze while I was talking to the number one customer. And the boss tapped me on the shoulder and says, can you show this fella that he was talking to about how to close, uh, 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 I think it was called a, a, a heavy grip 300. Took it out of his hand, put the one I had in my pocket uh, away and took the 300 and closed it in front of the new customer's face while I was still talking to the other customer. Showing off, of course, everybody's laughing because I am obviously being a bit of an ass, but I am showing off, showing it can be done. But equally, I had to do it when the boss wanted me to do it in front of that customer because there's a potential right there for a sale. So this is how being a professional bodybuilder is. You the, the, literally standing there saying hello to someone and having a photograph taken is a potential customer for that company's products. You are maybe that could, could be a lifetime customer right there because the brand sponsored you and you were nice when they come to see you and it was a solid product anyway. And it was a difference between another solid product and their solid product. And you was a nice guy and the other one was not. You ignored me, you didn't make time. You just said, quick, take a picture and wasn't friendly. Didn't say hello, didn't look happy to meet you. I mean, it's super, super important. Steve and I do these shows. There's a bunch of other things. We understand this. But again, like I said, if you're younger, especially when you're younger, you need to have that in the back of your mind. It's not just being a professional. You need that extra something that makes you comfortable in front of a crowd and makes the person in front of you, if only for a minute, two minutes, feel valued, that you appreciate them being there. You're happy that they're there. You're happy that they're asking you for a photograph. And in fact, you realize this was a dream that you had when you was an up-and-coming bodybuilder, Steve. All right, yeah, let's talk about what these guys are using uh, in terms of steroid use. And this is a really, really interesting little 
segment we like to do on these podcasts. And look, when it comes at the end of the day, these guys, they it's chemical warfare mobster at this level. And if you're going to try to get, you know, top 10 at Mr. Olympia, top five, top three, top two. Oh, what an accomplishment. And then winning the whole thing. Yeah. You've got to have everything. You've got it's got to be trial and error. It's got to be a lot of different steroids we're using. Uh, Trembolone, I think, is a ex- very, very, very important weapon when it comes to competitions. And Trenbolone does an amazing job as a nutrient partitioner. It's also great. A lot of guys react really good with it um, when it comes to really building a nice physique, building size, building strength. So I think trend is something that Ian would really, really liked over the years, especially because he's such a uh, such a heavy uh, lifter. Um, he likes to lift the heavy weights, and nothing, nothing out there will help you build strength like Trenbolone. So 1,000 milligrams a week trend, uh, absolutely brutal at that dosage. Uh, even 250, 200 even milligrams a week comes with a lot of side effects. So the fact that he's doing 1,000 milligrams a week, that would do the job, but the side effects would be brutal. So it really, really sucks, but you got to do what you got to do, right, officer? Another one, testosterone propanate, 800 milligrams a week. Now, why? Why propanate? Propanate, um, it's not an easy injection. It kind of hurts. There's a little pain involved with it, a little swelling. It's also one of those you got to pin every day or every other day. When you're pinning that much gear, it's a lot of injections. You're basically a pincushion. So why why prop though? Because the flexibility. And when you're competing, you need to know when to be on testosterone and when to be off testosterone. Because testosterone does cause water retention. So you've got to know how to manipulate your water going into competition. So a lot of times competitors will just completely drop testosterone going into a competition for that reason because they don't want to do the guesswork. They don't want to risk going into the show just even 1%, 2% more bloated than they should be. So in that situation, you run the testosterone propanate. You don't run long ester testosterone, which takes years to clear out of the system. Next one, mobster, and then I'll bring you in to do a couple here. Master on propanate. Same thing. Why are you why propanate? Because it's flexible. You could start and stop it. It's going to be in and out of your system quick. Hardness. Master on for hardness. Very, very important. What are these guys? They go on stage. They gotta be their muscles gotta be hard. They can't be round muscles. They gotta be hard. They gotta be cut muscles when they flex on stage. You've got to see those those that edge to the muscles, and that really goes a long way with the uh, with the competitors. Um, and the judges really really appreciate that. It's an absolute necessary. If you go in there with round muscles, you go on there fluffy, you go on there in, in there soft. It, you know you're 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 done. Um, that's what yeah. happened to Big Rami last year. Uh, he fell off in the in the Mr. Olympia. Why? Because he went in there a little soft, and that really, really hurt him. So they call it conditioning, quote unquote. Oh my God, this guy has amazing conditioning. I love when I hear that. Is it is it the conditioning, or is it that they they correctly drop the testosterone and they're on masteron, and that is the key because you go in there hard and dry with uh with the masteron. Go ahead, Mom. Yeah. They, sh- they should all be conditioned, Steve. And then, as Steve says, and I'm going to argue this as well, uh, what Steve used the phrase chemical warfare. So here's the thing, guys, and I haven't talked about this in the strongman competition yesterday, Steve. You should train as hard as you possibly can with no advantages whatsoever. And I mean, in, in the case of strongman, that's no tacky, no special equipment, whatever else. You should just be strong. And then because everybody else is going to use that stuff they put on their hands, Steve, the tacky stuff, then you use it. So the same thing applies to chemical warfare. You need to you need to be a show-winning bodybuilder. You need to have, as Steve says, to be detailed. You need the condition, but you need the edge that the other athletes got, and you need to make sure that you're more conditioned than they are. And that might mean 
manipulating the performance enhancing drugs you're going to use. It might mean adjusting the dosages. I've made this point in this, two things. One is to try certain medications ahead of time to see how your body responds, ideally one at a time, and then in combination with others. That's another reason why I use a prep coach. And two, it's entertaining to talk about these things, guys. But for example, this stack would destroy me, absolutely destroy me. And it would be also something I would say, it's, it's going to be the last few weeks of competition. So what we're looking at, we know from Chris's, sorry, Ian's physique, how he looks. And there's that kind of grainy, gnarly kind of vascular thing going on that makes him, as I said earlier on, an absolute freak of freaks. So uh, 1,500 milligrams of EQ equipoise wouldn't be completely out of, out of order here. It might be a little bit more. It might be a little bit less. Ian will know better how he responds in this example. Uh, it's also a kind of dry ish jug here. Uh, Winstrow, again, 150 milligrams a day. That's getting towards the top end of any athlete on a use. But again, show stopping, show winning, competition type stack that's only going to be running in the last few weeks. Some drugs will be in and some drugs will be out, especially as you get into those last couple of weeks, last few days of competition, especially as Steve said earlier on the shorter acting Esther's. Arguably here, Steve, and this would be a great one for keeping him strong uh, right up to. And the reason why do you want to stay strong in the, in the last few days, guys? Because you're going to still be training probably up until two or three days on the competition. And staying strong is going to keep the weights on the bar, which means you're going to keep the muscle that you worked really hard for. So arguably here, Steve, up around a little bit higher than I would use, but up around 80 milligrams a day here. Uh, growth hormone and insulin, I'll deal with them both. 16, I use HGH daily, and eight, I use insulin. Per, uh, to say that he is or he isn't, arguably now as a professional bodybuilder, I would say 99% of the pros, if there's 100 pros, 99 out of 100 pros will be using some combination thereof. Some, as we've discussed on other shows, Steve, a lot, lot higher. I suspect, and I think Steve's correct with regards to the number here, that Ian doesn't necessarily need as much as some of the others. We're talking about someone that could bench nine, 500 pounds when they were 19 and who looks crazy fucking freaky looking pretty much all year. Dry looking all year, separation all year. So he will not need 30 IUs, 40 IUs a day. But will he be using some? I suspect so, Steve. Uh, Clen, 120 micrograms a day. Again, especially for the last little bit of a polish, that last little bit of dryness, just getting rid of the last little bits of fat. Again, one of those ones you want to time it properly. Zero side effects or minimize as much as you possibly can in his case. And we know numbers, even in normal guys, that's gone up to, because they, they found they can handle it at that level, up to 200 micrograms a day. So 120 micrograms in combination with everything else. You're going to feel uncomfortable. You're not necessarily going to feel super great. But the reward will be shown in that mirror. And it's going to be getting you to stage ready. One more thing. And again, I think with Ian, literally going to come down to whether he needs it or not. But it, would it be on the table and available? Would be diuretics. Almost certainly again. The guys are looking for that magic combination of retaining as much muscle tissue as possible. Separation. I don't just mean me being big. But separation between the muscle group, between the delt and the pec, between the pec and the... Uh, intercostals and serratus, the thorax, separation in the abs, separation in the leg muscles, uh, thin, thin skin, which, uh, let's be honest, Steve, and we know this, and the bodybuilders themselves have discussed it, the thing that they're trying to do is probably the most unnatural thing you can do to your body, but you are trying to do it, for the most part, in most competitions, for one day, not even a day, Steve, literally from walking out on stage until you walk back on stage, off stage with a trophy, so that could be three or four hours. You are asking, like the show horse or some sort of circus act, you are asking this thing to happen for a very short period of time where you may feel super crazy, uncomfortable, dry, thirsty, not very happy physically. But once your hand's on the trophy, once you've got the first place, once those photographs are taken, that moment in time is caught. And if you end up on the front page of a magazine, if your sponsor's super happy, if you've won, it can be for everybody. And I've competed, so I know how it feels. It can mean in that moment absolutely everything. And so we get it. We understand, especially at that level, Steve, what it means to be a pro and the desire to get there. 
So when we talk about chemical warfare, we're not necessarily talking about a healthy thing. In fact, I'd say we're not, 100% not. Uh, but the desire to be the absolute best in that moment of time, when you're standing out there in a, as Olympians, a good example, Steve, 4,000 people in person, how many tens of thousands of people online, how many people are going to see you on Instagram, online, on YouTube, whatever else, winning? Uh, as an example, again, Eddie Hall's 500 kilo deadlift. I think that's up around 50, 60 million views uh, and more. Uh, Lad Bob, one other, that's just one, it's doing the deadlift, one rep. And it's, I think, total views is around 100 million. So that's what you're looking at. And that can make you your reputation. There are, there are Mr. Olympia winners who've won it once. And we still talk about them nasty. So that's what you're looking at. That that thing, that's what's really hard sometimes for people of that le level to discuss. They kind of really got to think about why they want to be there. But some of our listeners will understand of it. Some of our listeners will want that. And that's why we do this podcast. We want them to kind of get, understand what it means. I mean, I, I know you've done well in sports, even I know you've spoken to some top level athletes. Try to explain to our listeners what it can sometimes mean, not just the listener, but the top pros that you've spoken to, to be the absolute best of the best. Yeah. And it, it's look, it feels fantastic. Um, the train, you know, the training, um, it's always, a nobody likes the training as much as the end result. Then you get that end result and then you get thirsty for more. That's a, that's the mind of a champion. That's why you see, athletes out there like the michael jordans the tom brady's the wayne gretzky's they keep they keep winning they keep going and they keep trying to win more championships and like one isn't enough then two isn't enough and three isn't enough you have to be you have to have that hunger in you to do it so you know look as far as i'm concerned he isn't ian is a champion he doesn't have to win mr olympia to be a champion i mean just getting top 10 mr olympia your top 10 best bodybuilder in the world. So, I mean, the way I look at it, he's already, he's already a champion in my mind. So I think he's a great guy and um, you know, let's see what he, let's see what he could do over the next couple of years. Mobster, he's still young and he could still accomplish a lot over the next few years. Um, he's what? 33 now, 33 years old as of this podcast. So he's got, he's got some time on him. He Absolutely. still has four or five years. To uh to really do it, we've seen even we're seeing... if he never wins, Steve, there are bodybuilders, and I mentioned Tom Platts earlier on that even if they never won the Mr. Olympia, we, he's a fucking legend, and Jan's a, a freak. Now, whether he's going to become a legend is something else. I think so. If he keeps doing what he's doing, he's still going to look fucking amazing. He's still going to. I, I I like the freak, Steve. Don't get me wrong. I I can recognize what wins and what doesn't win, but I like the freaks. When I was a younger guy. Bodybuilding training and, and the bodybuilding, especially, was my thing, still my thing, but especially then. The freaks are what made me want to go to the gym and train. I wanted legs like Platts, I wanted arms like Bertel or, or Arnold or whatever else. Ian is, and let's put it this way, he's an inspiration. You want to see if he can get more freaky, you want to see if he can get dry. You want, we'd love for him to place better, I'd love for his physique to become more complete with the level of dryness, those hamstrings, like I said earlier on, hanging off the back of his thigh, the width that he has and the intensity he puts in the gym, it makes you want to go and train. Now, whether it's him or someone else, but we're talking about Ian, he makes you want to go to the gym, he makes you want to lift weights, he makes you go, what the fuck? It might not necessarily be a good what the fuck, but it's still a what the fuck. Even, even and I'll use Steve's girlfriend as earlier on as an example, even if it's a Jesus Christ, what's that coming up the street towards me kind of look? That may be what you want is. You want people to go, Jesus, look at those arms. What the hell? You're training your ass off in the gym. You, I, I, I can have a shitty weekend, Steve, and I've got to get my headspace in the place on a Monday morning to train legs. And thank Christ, because I've been doing this a long time, I can put myself in that nasty, horrible, dirty, disgusting, whatever the hell kind of mood. Think, don't come in here and fuck around. Get your shit done no matter what. Moan like a bitch afterwards, but get it done. And then once you're there moving that shit around, I think that's exactly how Ian operates. I think that you, when you see him in a kind of darkened gym videos, and it's, for some reason, a couple of places they've changed him, it's kind of like that. Someone needs to stick some more light bulbs in, but it's going to be kind of dark. But there's his crazy, crazy physique. And like I said earlier on, he's going after the grass with 10 plates aside on the hack squat in slow and great form. 
and it makes you want to go stick another plate on the bike. It makes you want to see if you can do 10 plates. But he's doing that crazy form. And then when you look at his quads afterwards, Jesus Christ, they're like fucking Zeppelin, Steve. They're just massive and separate and freaky. And that hamstring looks, looks like another leg. That should get your juices going. That should make you want to go to the gym. Me talking about it now should make you feel like that. So even if he never wins the Mystery Olympia, Ian, if you're listening, you are that athlete. You're the kind of guy that's going to make people like me go, Jesus Christ, I want hamstrings like that. I want to look fuck off. <laughs> I might go, I don't like it. It changed my mind. But I, I want that little minute where I go, geez, my legs are just like his. That's crazy. My arms are just like, look at those triceps. Boom, have a look at that. My triceps like his. That, that's, the, that's why we do this shit, Steve. That's why we do this podcast, because we love it. And I think Ian loves it. I think he'd be one of those guys that would be crazy training forever. Maybe fucking himself up and getting injured. But I like that. I like that idea. And it should inspire our listeners to want to go out there and kick ass and to coin a phrase, Steve, be like Ian. Do what he does. Get that kind of vibe going. Even if it's just for the hour, hour and a half that you guys are down the gym, having your head in that headspace. It's a great one, Steve. I've enjoyed this. Please note, we are not doctors and the opinions are ours. It is our view and based on our experience and views on the topic, a podcast for informational purposes and entertainment only with the freedom of speech and the first amendment.